0: I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors. Who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy. And why you should check them out. If you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John
1: and John. Hi, John. Hello, John. How are you today? Today, you know what? I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's still February right now. But this will be broadcast in the future of March
0: through the power of podcast media. Gotta love it. That's great. (laughs) It'll be so much warmer by the time this comes out.
1: I hope so. I hope so. It has been kind of, I mean, I'm okay. I'm in upstate New York. It's, it's cold. I get it. Winter. Winter is a thing. I had forgotten in, you know, in all my time in Texas about winter being a thing. Winter's a thing, and I'm okay with that.
0: Winter, winter is nice, and I'll miss it when it gets to be hot, but I'm also ready for my cat to stop rubbing her face on my microphone. Thank you. Which is a great thing to talk about in a purely auditory podcast,
1: because I could see that, and I was like, wow, this is both adorable and obnoxious to you, and I get that. <laughs> so our dear listeners, please just imagine like this this beautiful cat just like Going to town all over John's microphone. It was great. It was wonderful.
0: <laughs> are you going to behave? No, she's not. We better move quickly. What are we talking about today, John? Today, we are talking about Fun Home with music by Janine Tesori,
1: book and lyrics by Lisa Cron, based on the graphic novel Fun Home by Alison Bechdel.
0: Fun Home opened at the Circle on the Square Theater on April 19, 2015, and played 583 performances before closing on September 10, 2016. The show was directed by
1: Sam Gold, with choreography by Danny Mefford, and music direction by Chris Fenwick. The original Broadway cast included Beth Malone as Adult Allison, Michael Severus as Bruce, Judy Kuhn as Helen, Sidney Lucas as Small Allison. Emily Skeggs as Medium Allison, Oscar Williams as Christian, Zell Morrow as John, and
0: Roberta Calindrez as Joan. Fun Home was nominated for 12 Tony Awards and won five, including Best Musical Book and Original Score. The show recounts the background of cartoonist Alison Bechtel, who recalls two
1: major periods of her life in a series of vignettes. First, Her childhood, when she struggles against her father Bruce's obsessive demands. The second is her time in college when she begins her first relationship and comes out of the closet as a lesbian. The story jumps between the past, both of small Allison as a child and medium Allison as a college student, and the
0: present repeatedly. Allison first remembers herself as a child demanding that her father Bruce play airplane with her while he sorts through a box of junk and valuables he has salvaged from a barn. Later, Bruce tells the family that a visitor from the local historical society is coming to see their ornate Victorian home that he has restored. And his wife, Helen, prepares the house to Bruce's demanding aesthetic standard. In a phone call with her father in a journal entry,
1: Medium Allison expresses her anxiety about starting college. At the Bechtel funeral home, Small Allison and her brothers John and Christian perform an imaginary advertisement for the funeral home.
0: Medium Allison hesitates outside the door of the college's gay union and is flummoxed when she meets Joan, a confident young lesbian. Meanwhile, Bruce invites Roy, a young man whom he has hired to do yard work, into the house. Bruce begins to seduce Roy in the library while Helen is playing the piano upstairs, trying her best to ignore it. Allison writes a letter to her parents about college life but does not mention Joan or her recent realization that she is a lesbian. Bruce orders small Allison to put on a dress, but she would
1: rather wear jeans. Bruce tells her that the other children would laugh at her. She reluctantly obeys him. Medium Allison proudly tells Joan that she has written a letter to her parents telling them that she is a lesbian, but begins to second-guess herself until Joan kisses her. That night, she is delirious with joy after having had sex with Joan and finally affirming her sexuality.
0: Adult Allison considers the connection between her coming out and her father's death. Small Allison has a homework assignment to draw a
1: map of the places her family has been to, but Bruce aggressively takes over, drawing it the way he thinks it should look. Allison realizes that despite having traveled wildly, her father's place of birth, life, work, and death can all be placed in a small circle in Beach Creek, Pennsylvania. Bruce offers a ride and a beer to an underage boy,
0: and it is later implied that they had a sexual encounter. Medium Allison writes to her parents, asking for a response to her coming out letter. Small Allison watches the Partridge family, but Bruce angrily switches it off. Small Allison talks to him and finds out that he is going to see a psychiatrist, but he is ambiguous about the reason. Adult Allison expresses annoyance that he lied to her. The reason he
1: was going was that he was arrested for what he did to the underage boy. Helen attempts to reassure small Allison that the psychiatrist will help her father, but she too refuses to elaborate. Bruce starts a vicious argument with Helen and breaks several of her possessions along with some library books. Small Allison fantasizes about her family as the happy family singing
0: together on television. Allison remembers a time when Bruce took her and her brothers on a trip to New York City. After a long day, small Allison, Christian, and John settle into sleeping bags. Small Allison wakes up and catches Bruce sneaking out. Bruce sings her a lullaby. He reassures his daughter that he's just going out for a paper, but Allison realizes he was probably going cruising.
1: Medium Allison is angered by a noncommittal letter from Bruce responding to her coming out. At a luncheonette with her father, small Allison notices a butch
0: delivery woman and feels an inexplicable kinship with her. Medium Allison calls home to demand a better response from her parents and is astonished when her mother reveals that her father has had sexual relationships with men and boys. Allison explores the tensions her family was under at this time and watches a heated argument between her parents. Allison comes home from college and brings Joan with her. Helen confesses to medium Allison her troubled and turbulent life with Bruce. Medium Allison, Joan, and Bruce have an
1: unexpectedly pleasant evening around the piano. Bruce asks Allison if she'd like to go for a drive, and adult Allison realizes that medium Allison is gone. She joins her father in the car, breaking the boundaries of time.
0: On that drive, she and Bruce struggle to express themselves to each other. Bruce, maniacally engaged in a new restoration project, tries and fails to find a way to hold his life together. He steps in front of a truck and is killed. Adult Allison, newly reconciled to her past, remembers and draws a moment of perfect balance, playing airplane with her father while reminiscing about the past with the other Allisons. This is a story that is written for an audience that isn't us inherently. It's a story that is doing something that Broadway has needed to do for a long time, which is sharing stories from people with different viewpoints than straight white dudes. Right. And, and actually
1: it's, I mean it you know it's that 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 saying representation matters but it's not even just enough to say representation matters and I think one of the greatest successes of that sh- of the show on the highest level is a realized nuanced realistic description of what LGBTQ plus people go through. It's not fantastical. It's not stereotypical. It's not It's not so many of the tropes that Broadway can fall into. And so yes, representation
0: matters, but also this is the type of representation it needs to be. Right. And it's, it's coming from a real place. I mean, y- you were saying before we started recording that you were actually aware of the, the graphic novel well before this musical came out. And that's you know, that is someone's true earnest lived experience. And it seems like this is a, a pretty faithful adaptation from a uh, novel to stage. Would you say that's fair? Oh, a hundred percent fair. And I mean, it, also what we were talking,
1: maybe we should just start recording our, our before discussions too, and then I can just edit them in. I don't know. Um, it struck me that other than Spider-Man, I can't think of another situation where we have a graphic novel or comic book that is being adapted for the stage. Um, and Spider-Man ultimately fails that test because while it was about a comic book character, it was an original story. Here, we have more of an adaptation. Incredibly faithful incredibly true, and it's, I mean, to be fair, it's a brilliant graphic novel as well. I mean, the the art and the style and the story is just absolutely amazing. And the fact that they were able to capture the heart and the soul of that graphic novel and put it into this show in a sincere way is really a, a compliment to the production team, to the book writing team, the composer and everything. They did this well. Now, that doesn't mean to say the show is without flaws. And now we get to talk about the show. So here we go.
0: So um, I actually, uh, uh, on that point, I know one of the things that you wanted to talk about was the, the technical aspects of the show. And I'm curious, do they borrow from the art style of the graphic novel as they translate things to stage? Or is it a more, it, is it, is it mean, not taken To it a
1: degree, there? It's it's still very modern realistic I mean as is the graphic novel the graphic novel isn't a fantastical or overly ornate style she draws true to life um and so yes it is but that's not necessarily a comment on the adaptation of her style to the set and the technical elements as much as it is she draws realistically the set was designed realistically but in one of the the few the in, in one of the things that blows me away about this show is the original production was actually done in the round. And when you're moving large set pieces in and out, and that becomes I mean, incredibly problematic for anyone who has ever done anything in the round,
0: I mean you're you're shallow. Hmm? We we should probably pause for just a second in case anyone doesn't know what that means. Uh in a traditional theater setting, uh like Most uh, musicals are presented kind of in a proscenium space where there's the stage and then the audience sits in front of the stage and it's sort of that 2D plane of one looking at the other and the other looking back. In the round means, uh, I mean, originally the stage was round and the audience sat all around, but effectively it's a 360 degree view of the performance by the audience, which means you have nowhere to hide at all the technical things that you need to do sort of art and theater at this level, which means you have to be creative about how you integrate all of those elements into the show. Absolutely. And I feel like they came up with a really great way of
1: handling it as well. So the set actually had several trap doors in the floor, and set pieces would actually rise up from the floor and then get moved around. And then they a piece would come up in one spot, it might get moved around, it would go down in a different spot, and, and things would you know, keep going back and forth. So there was never anything brought through the audience or through the aisles or anything like that. Everything was very self-contained, which from a technical standpoint, as anyone who, you know, has any experience working in theater at that level knows, is really hard. Like the coordination, but also the tech, like the technical requirements to do something like that is, is, mind-blowing and the fact that they were able to base the entire technical aspect of the show around that is, is is it's groundbreaking and we see some of that still on broadway there are various shows that are using similar things
0: yeah i mean i feel like uh the recent revival of oklahoma was also kind of presented in that way it was it was yes. a super stripped down production like they almost took all the technical elements out of it and i think the recent revival of Once on This Island was also kind of similarly done. It was. Um, I mean, and in, in with Once on This Island, they had the added benefit of
1: basically building a beach on stage, which is a whole nother mind blowing that we will talk about someday. So ultimately this show for me is imperfect in its details, but the end product, is it's one of those, the old cliche of the whole is better than the sum of its parts. I think when you look at this show with individual elements, there are little things that you can you can pick at, um, especially the concept of how time is treated in this show. So we start with introducing all of the Allisons, and then we're with little Allison, then we're with college Allison, then adult Allison, then little Allison, but in the same scene, we then jump to college. It's incredibly confusing on paper and when you see it in person it does make a lot more sense so it's one of those things that could have been a negative for the production but because of the the excellent staging by Sam Gold it ends up being not a liability for the show because they're they are able to navigate between the different eras well and it it's not as confusing as, as our rundown made it seem. You don't, you know, you don't need that incredibly fancy chart with arrows pointing elsewhere and going connecting different boxes. That kind of that Charlie Day conspiracy theory meme. It, this show could be like that, but isn't, and it's because of all the other elements that help strengthen
0: those little little nicks in the armor. Yeah, it's actually, I, I, I think. Much to the creator's credit, the recording that they produced off of the original uh, Broadway track actually endeavors to help alleviate that confusion by including significantly more dialogue than you would normally see in original... in an original cast album to help kind of bridge transitions and also just put you in the right place to understand who is singing, when they're singing and why they're singing before you hear each song, which shows how much they understood the challenge they were up against. But I I think they really did navigate it quite successfully. And it'll be interesting to see as the show continues to expand into the wider world, how future directors tackle that challenge. Because it is really easy to make this unclear if you are not careful, but also clearly possible to present it very successfully.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with that. And now, because this is called Musical Minutes with John and John, let's talk a little bit about the music. I know both of us have a love-hate relationship with the music of Janine Tesori. Matter of fact, the last show that she wrote that we talked about, we never actually even talked about the music because of just how offensive the show was. Um, which, by the way, if you haven't heard our Thoroughly Modern Millie episode, go ahead and listen to it because we kind of go off. And so if you want to hear, you know, a half hour of two angry Johns talking about why you should never,
0: ever do a particular show, that's a good one. But uh, <laughs> the, the music of Thoroughly Modern Millie in no way sounds like the music of Fun Home, which is really fascinating because it is the same composer, uh, Janine Tessori And it, it actually, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, I was listening to Fun Home out on a walk before recording this and wasn't even really consciously aware that she had written the music. And then when... I was preparing the notes and uh, reading what you had written and I saw that the same person had also written Thoroughly Modern Millie, Shrek, Caroline, or, or Change. Uh, sorry. Thoroughly Caroline Modern or Millie, change. Shrek, Caroline, or Change. Uh, I was like, wait a minute, this is the same person? This is this sounds like completely different music to me, which is fascinating, actually. It is. And
1: it it kind of mirrors this what I believe we're kind of entering in this post mega musical era on Broadway, where we're getting back to this idea of realism in finding the special moments within everyday life, as opposed to the fantastical, not to say that those stories are not still on Broadway. They are. And we've talked about some, we are going to talk about in future episodes, a couple of more that are just face to the wall explosions of color and light and fantastical but i mean when you look at this show when you look at like things like the band's visit or come from away it's becoming more and more about the individual condition or or society on its smallest level and i think the difference between so much of the music that janine tassori has written again, for Thoroughly Modern Millie, Shrek, or Caroline or Change, is that those shows don't necessarily lend itself to that. If anything, and this is a bit of a deep cut, and it's a, it's a show not many people are familiar with, but this reminds me a lot of Violet, which is a show Janine Tessori wrote early on in her career. It's getting a little bit of a resurgence now, I've noticed, with some smaller community theater playhouses. But it's the same idea of, and, and I love actually how you describe it in our notes, so I'm going to steal this now. It's orchestral stringy with lots of lyricism and pop elements in the vocals, but a kind of more folky vibe in the overall writing, which is actually a great way to describe the music for this show because it does almost have that chamber music feel to it. It's not a big orchestra. It's only, I think it's like piano-based drums, reeds, guitar. I mean, it's, it's a very small ensemble and it comes off as chamber music to a degree with a couple of exceptions. There is one number in the first act, which I, I mean, I swear is a straight up homage to the Jackson five um, with welcome to the fun home. If you listen to that and don't think of, I want you back, then I don't know what planet you're from, but welcome Try the chips. They're great. I don't know. It's To me, this is a big departure for Janine Tesori. I don't know that it's a big departure from what we're
0: seeing on Broadway. Yeah, it's curious. I mean, it, it, it may very well be a big departure for her, though I, uh, I don't think it's a bad one. I think I think the music for this show is is broadly pretty good. Uh, it's funny. I, I texted you this morning while I was listening to it, and I, I made the observation that it sounds... To me, in not a negative way, very similar to a lot of other shows that we're hearing and seeing on Broadway right now with all of those descriptors that you, you've read for us earlier. And I'm, <laughs> I, I'm wondering, again, and, and not from a negative point of view, but like we look now at shows from like the 70s and 80s and think, wow, that's a show from the 70s and 80s. And you can hear it in the sound. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if 30, 40 years from now, we won't look back on these sort of late 2000s, 2010 shows and say, wow, okay, so that's that was the aesthetic that we were going with then, and whether or not that will be sort of an era that ends, and if it does, what will be next, or if we're moving into more of this vein, and that's how theater is going to proceed.
1: Oh, no, and and I'm with you on that, and it's actually kind of funny, and I mean, the statement I'm about to make is purely on the benefit of being able to look back um, and in 20 or 30 years, like you said, maybe something completely different. But it's been fascinating to watch from, you know, and to read about from the very early days from uh, the folly shows of the teens and the 20s Going into Showboat in the late 20s, early 30s, which then kind of gets us into the book musical, which gets us into the golden age, which gets us to the 60s. And then we start getting our jazz and our funk and our, our the beginnings of our pop with things like Cabaret and Chicago, which then takes us into something like Pippin, which is a little bit more commercial and with a little bit more of a Motown sound, which then gets us into Andrew Lloyd Webber. And then, boom, we've organically managed to get ourselves into the mega musical era, which, I mean, one some, some people could argue we're still in now. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I feel like we still do have mega musicals, but it, it is interesting starting to see what the new defining sound is. But the thing I find interesting is, and and again, this could be a blind spot on my part, is I'm not seeing the organicism of that. I feel like what we're hearing now is a reaction to the mega musical as opposed to an outgrowth of the mega musical.
0: It, It feels like a very intentional rejection of all of that big and a shift towards much more smaller intimate subjects and intimate portrayals of that material. And who's to say if that's a good thing or not? I mean, we,
1: we're we not in a position to judge it. We are not going to be. That's going to be the next generation's problem. So good luck, future people. Um, but it's just, it's fascinating. And, and And as long as we keep getting shows like Fun Home, I'm eager to see what comes next. Ultimately, I I really do love this show. I think it's a great, it's great for representation, but I think on its own merits, it stands very well as its own musical. And I want to see what comes because of shows like this. I want to see where we're going next.
0: I think that's a great button. I have nothing else to
1: add. Okay. So if you want to listen to Fun Home, your your resources are somewhat limited because, well, it's, new um the original broadway cast is absolutely brilliant and can be found pretty much everywhere and it's definitely something you should listen to
0: well that should just about do it for this episode if you'd like to reach out to us you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com you can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John, or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod.
1: Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.